I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, Autumn and I are going to catch up, talk a little bit about the heaviness that's in the air these days regarding refugees. And then later in the pod, we have the privilege of sitting down with three individuals, two Baptist missionaries and a Muslim leader in Oklahoma that are preparing for Afghan refugees on their way to their states. So uh, it's a little bit of a heavy interview episode this week, but it is one you will not want to miss. So stay tuned. I'm Reverend Starlet Thomas, a womanist in ministry and the host of the Raceless Gospel podcast from Good Faith Media. It's season two, and we're still talking about that taboo trinity, race, religion, and politics. This season of the Raceless Gospel has eight episodes, eight podcast church services. The doors of this church are open, and we're going to talk about the sticks and stones we carry faithfully that break the skin and bones of Christ's body. And on each episode, we're joined by those who bring perspective and insight as to how we set these broken bones and perhaps make things right. The Raceless Gospel Podcast, eight episodes. I'm your podcast pastor, Reverend Starlet Thomas. Join us as we discuss the church in North America's bodywork. Learn more at goodfaithmedia.org. Autumn, how are things going? I'm going to be honest with you. I'm I'm hurting this week for some reason. Yeah. You know, we have, you and I have sort of been on a pilgrim pilgrimage through COVID um, since we started this podcast. We started it in February of 2020. And it's had its ups and its downs. And it's not just the pandemic, but it's other life forces. And, you know, this week, I feel like the heaviness of literal refugees coming to our country for safety and just you know we watched on social media last night as they arrived boots on the ground in our state and you just as an empath your heart just aches with them right you know there's something i don't know we've been talking about this among the staff and about uh, among other colleagues just about the heaviness that we feel like we're under at this point and you know we at one point thought we were out of this pandemic uh, and then of course the delta variant said hang on uh, we're not done quite yet and and it seems like you know that's hit us uh, right in the face we've had this you know withdrawal of our troops in afghanistan and whether that was the right or wrong decision it doesn't matter it happened uh, and there are refugees who are now needing a place to live uh, we saw the images of them trying to flee their country hanging on to airplanes just trying to get out um, we saw images this week down at our southern border of uh, Haitian refugees who made their way into Mexico, trying to make their way in the States, and the confrontation between them and Border Patrol. We've also gotten news about our clergy who are continuing to suffer under this really difficult 18 months, some of them leaving ministry altogether, many of them just struggling personally. Um, you know, there's just a heaviness this week, and I wrote about it uh, in our art, in an article that's actually out today. 
announced a day late, uh, at least on Friday, talking about it's hard to see the light in the midst of all this darkness. And I tell a story about the Statue of Liberty and how it came to be here in the United States. And, of course, uh, the great poem, um, Colossus, uh, that talks about that we are a country, a mother of exiles, as uh, the poet puts it. And so it, it's been hard, but, you know, we've got to figure out how to see light in the midst of darkness. And that's one of the things that we're trying to do here at Good Faith Media is trying to find and grasp on to those inklings of light where we see them and then amplify them so that they can burn brighter to get this darkness that is overcoming uh, out of the way so that we can look for a hopeful and better future. Yes, I completely agree. And, you know, this week on the show, we are interviewing three different guests who are helping in different ways. You said it in your intro to Baptist missionaries and, and a Muslim. It sounded like you were about to tell us a joke, <laughs> um, which that's one thing that I've learned in my interfaith sort of journey and learning about other faiths is all of you leaders have the same corny dad jokes. And that's really what binds us, right? Humor. That's right. Hey, I love a good dad joke. Don't, don't uh, be dogging on the dad jokes. <laughs> but they're universal. But so is, you know, you you hearken America to a mother, right. you know, and as a mother, um, when you see a child in need, however old that child is, there's someone's child and you want to reach out and you want to help. And I think there are a lot of people of good faith who are sitting in their comfy, privileged homes wondering how can we help? And there are just such practical guidances in our conversations this week. Yeah, and one thing that the last 18 months, I think, has taught us is that the reality is we're all refugees, Autumn. Oh, uh, yep. What, even though we may not be displaced like the refugees that we think of that are seeking a better life for themselves, we are all refugees, either spiritually, emotionally, mentally, trying to find our way to a better place. Yeah. Yep. And we're all on this journey together. And if we can't come together and figure out a way to move forward for a more perfect union, as Jefferson wrote about, or the kingdom of God, as Jesus spoke about, if we can't do that, then we're doomed. And so my hope for us is that we can see the light, even if it's a glimmer, a dot in the midst of darkness, that we can see it and then amplify it, not only to see ourselves, but for others to see as well. So mm -hmm. I am hopeful, uh, even in a very difficult week, I am hopeful. And speaking to these three individuals this week was very uplifting. We spoke to uh, Rick Sample, who is a missionary with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship out in San Francisco. He's been doing work among the refugee communities out there for decades. Uh, more uh, recently, he's been working with Afghan refugees preparing for their arrival in San Francisco. We talked to Mark Wyatt. He and his wife, Kim, are in the Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina area. They have created, uh, when they were in Canada and have carried that ministry over here to the States, uh, a ministry called Welcome House, where they've actually got a house that's transitional housing for refugees who are in need. And it's been a great program, both in Canada and in the United States. And then we got a, it's always a privilege to sit down with Adam Sultani, who is the executive director of the Council of American Islamic Relationships in the state of Oklahoma. 
he always is a breath of fresh air and wisdom and talks about the great work that Muslims and the interfaith community in Oklahoma are doing to help welcome Afghan refugees into the Sooner State. So uh, it's a lot of interviews, but uh, a lot of a lot of great content. I do want to warn our listeners that uh, when I sat down with uh with uh, Rick Sample, uh, we did so out in Southern California. We were both at bless a, your little heart. <laughs> we were just suffering for Jesus under the sunshine of Southern California. But we were out in an outdoor retreat center, talking about important issues of the day. And he was talking about his ministry in San Francisco. So I just pulled out a recorder and said, "Hey, let's talk about this on air." So the quality isn't as great as uh, we're used to. Got some but... ocean in there, some birds, <laughs> yeah, 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 stuff like that. Flowers, yeah, right? Exactly. Blowing round. <laughs> uh, I'm aware. But uh, they were three delightful interviews, doing some incredible work, kingdom work, as uh, we might call it in the church world. But uh, you're going to be blessed by their conversations. So stay tuned. I'm Reverend Kendall Ray Rothis, and my latest book is just out by Queendom Come. Breaking Free from the Patriarchy to Save Your Soul. Thy Queendom Come is a feminist reimagining of the kingdom of God. Hierarchy is replaced with a reign of love. Women's voices and stories are valued. Reverence for the divine feminine reemerges from the ashes of its martyrdom. Order your copy of Thy Queendom Come wherever books are sold. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly, and I am really delighted to be with Rick Sample today, who is a Cooperative Baptist Fellowship field personnel serving with international and refugee community in the San Francisco Bay Area of California. He and his wife, Lita, have been out there working with people groups uh, from all kinds of nationalities, both refugees and uh, immigrants who have come to this country and just doing some remarkable work. So, Rick, uh, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Thank you. Very nice to be here. So, Rick, uh, tell us a little bit about your work. We're going to get into what's going on in the news recently with uh, a lot of uh, refugees and immigrants coming in from Afghanistan. I know that's dear and close to your heart, but let's just talk about your work overall. Uh, what, and you, what have you and Leah been doing out in San Francisco working with these communities? Well, we've been in San Francisco for the last 19 years. We have been working among uh, Afghan refugee families all this time. Uh, as well as uh, immigrants from Iran, Turkey, uh, Myanmar, uh, international students from China and Japan. We just have a varied ministry with a lot of different uh, engagements, and uh, we look for ways in which we can um, be the presence of Christ in ways that uh, are not already happening. Now, you were sharing a story this week, and you and I are at a retreat uh, this week in, in Southern California, and uh, you were sharing a story with the group last night about uh, Iranian Christians in the Bay Area and, you know, what kind of growth that they're seeing as the gospel has, has really taken hold, not only in this country, but back home. So tell us a little bit about that story. Well, we have uh, been uh, involved with the Iranian Christian Church in San Jose, uh, which is among uh, perhaps the largest Muslim background believer church in the United States with several hundred Iranian former Muslims who are now Christians. Uh, the ministries that we've been doing with them, we've done a lot of children's ministry, we've led vacation Bible schools, we've done mission camps for their kids. Um, and what, what they do that's so successful is they have a television ministry of uh, 
of Christian programming in the Farsi language that they broadcast from San Jose and other points in the United States to Iran and Europe and all over the world. And they have thousands of viewers uh, of their television programs in Iran. They get uh, people calling them, um, uh, asking questions. They get death threats from people in Iran. But they get a lot of people who are returning to faith in Christ. And it's very exciting uh, to have... Uh, uh, a ministry like that going, and um, we're very pleased with uh, the growth of Christianity in Iran, which is, of course, a very oppressive Muslim country. So when refugees and immigrants uh, land in the Bay Area, what are some of their the most immediate needs? Uh, do you and your ministry, do you uh, engage them once they get here, or have they been here for a while? And what, I mean, uh, probably both is, is, is the answer to that question. But tell us a little bit about just kind of the immigrant and refugee experience once they land, uh, you know, on your radar. Well, it's a special joy to meet someone arriving at the airport. Um, you can meet them at the airport, hold up a sign, and, and welcome them to the United States. And one of the things that I love to say to someone is, welcome to America. You are home now. And um, that's, that, that is a good feeling for me. It's a good feeling for them. Uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area, I would say one of the greatest challenges for them is the high cost of living. It is a very affluent area, and yet um, many people live in poverty, and it's very challenging for them. Uh, we, as CBF field personnel, do not have the capacity to help people pay rent or with housing. It's just, just far too expensive. Uh, but what we can do is help them get set up in their apartments. Um, we have uh, many times visited a new family, and they have no furniture. They don't have dishes. They don't have um, kitchen items. They're just kind of sitting on the floor. So we are able to, uh, through our local uh, partnerships and networks, get people to donate furniture, dishes, cookware, just to get them set up so that their, their new life and new home in America can be a little more comfortable. And that's, um, that gives us an entry point into building relationships with the family. So there are churches uh, all across the country who are certainly wanting to participate in a ministry like this. Um, you know, we've been t uh, told by other CBF-Phil personnel uh, to start locally, talk to uh, local organizations who are working with immigrants and refugees. But somebody may want to work with you specifically. How can uh, churches and people of good faith work with you in the Bay Area, even though they may be an entire country away? Well, uh, one thing we could always use is more money. Um, it takes a lot of money to conduct ministries among um, people in need. Uh, but beyond that, uh, we welcome uh, visitors. We welcome volunteer mission teams who would like to come and, and uh, get involved. One of the things we do is called Afghan Friendship Week, where we uh, if we have a visiting mission team from a CBF church, for instance, or a college group, we uh, create activities and, and um, uh, events during the week with the Afghan families that we know. We match people up, and, and um, uh, it's easy to get invited to their homes. They're very hospitable, so we, you know, we, we have people go over to their homes for dinner. We go to uh, maybe sightseeing in San Francisco together with the Afghans, and it just builds a sense of community that is uh, very valuable for both uh, the uh, um, church volunteers but also the Afghan community. Um, we always could use donations of things if people want to send, you know, towels or blankets or um, 
you know, things that people would need to set up their house. Also, we, we know a lot of people who need just stuff like that. And, you know, churches could um, uh, have a collection and send it to us. And uh, many, we have many ideas, and we'd be happy to talk to anybody who's interested. And what's the best way to reach you? My phone number is 510-410-2692. My email address is rsample at cbf.net. And we love to hear from people, and we, we appreciate when we hear that people are praying for us. We know that that's very valuable and very important, and it's always nice to hear. You mentioned a moment ago that you've been working with uh, Afghan uh, immigrants and refugees coming into the States. Recently, as everybody knows, the Biden administration ended the 20-year war in Afghanistan. Uh, the end of the war has been really uh, strenuous for many of the Afghans who are trying to flee the country now that the Taliban has taken over. Um, what is what are you doing specifically to prepare for these refugees as they uh, come into the states? Well, ever since this started a few weeks ago, I've been receiving phone calls frequently from people we know who are Afghan. Uh, without exception, they are very worried about their loved ones back in Afghanistan. Some of them have been successful in getting out, and some are not. And and uh, they're asking me, what can I do to help their their family member get out of Afghanistan. I can't do anything to do that. That's obvious. But I always respond with compassion. I, I, I uh, take a great effort to uh, let them know that I care. Uh, we, we want to help in any way we can. We just can't get anyone out of Afghanistan. But uh, I pray with some of them who, who are open to that. And uh, But beyond that, we are involved with some local uh, networks. We are, we are engaged with the local Afghan uh, community leaders. Uh, we've had meetings with them. We've gone to rallies with them uh, in general just to show Christian support for, for Muslims in our area. And uh, through that, we're meeting other families who we can become engaged with in our own way. In addition, we are involved with a network of churches locally in San Francisco who are who are developing ways to meet the needs of the new families as they come in. We are um, connected with the Afghan Christian Church, the, the one and only Afghan Christian Church in our area, which is very small, but uh, with a dynamic Afghan pastor who was formerly a Muslim. And he is, um, he, he is a wonderful person to... Sh he shares the gospel wonderfully with the Afghans. And uh, we were coming alongside him in a sense of partnership and uh, bringing resources to their church in a lot of ways. And so uh, as, the, as the new people arrive, we are in a position to, to uh, greet them, meet them, befriend them, help them, uh, and, and they will have just an un unlimited amount of needs with their children and their families. Well, Rick, on behalf of uh, the organization of Good Faith Media and our listeners, we want to thank uh, you and Lita for all that you're doing uh, in the Bay Area with refugees and immigrants. Uh, it certainly uh, you know, epitomizes the words of Jesus to welcome the stranger in our midst, and you guys are doing great work. So keep up the good work, and congratulations on everything you're doing. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, we've got another very special guest with us. Kim and Mark Wyatt are Cooperative Baptist Fellowship field personnel serving in the Research Triangle of North Carolina, an 80-county region that wraps the capital city of Raleigh. They have served in Thailand and Canada previously. In October of 2015, they established Welcome House Raleigh, shaped after their previous ministries to refugees in Canada. Similar refugee ministries are now underway in Wilmington and Durham, North Carolina, with 
the refugee crisis in Afghanistan, and at the southern border on the rise, the Wyatts are extremely busy these days, as you can imagine. Kim is actually working right now, but we are very fortunate to have her partner in ministry, Mark Wyatt, with us. Mark, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Thank you, Mitch. It's just an honor to talk with you guys today, and thank you for telling the story. Absolutely. Well, Mark, let's just begin by telling us about your work with refugees. And I mean, you've been doing this for years now, and so maybe we'd go back even a little bit farther. Why and you? Why have you and Kim been drawn to working among refugees? Uh, Mitch, I would say uh, we did not start thinking that way. More than 25 years ago, when our mission career with CBF was launched, we were focused on the parts of the world where there are few churches, few scriptures in the language of the people, many who've never experienced the love of God in Christ Jesus or the fellowship of his church. And we took our one and three-year-old and we got everything into 10 suitcases and went to the other side of the earth. That's where we were thinking our life and ministry career would, would, um, would be. And yet, what started there was actually God transforming us through the call that he extended to understand what it is that he wanted us to do. And we needed to go through some experiences of walking in the shoes of the immigrant so that our minds and hearts could be ready to do the work that he called us to. That was over 25 years ago. Wow. Um, now, in that 25 years, um, I mean, it seems as though the refugee crisis has really turned into a human uh, human rights crisis. A um, you know, we've got human migration uh, that's taking place globally. How has refugee ministry and the situation around the world changed over the last 25 years as you've seen it? Well, in the sense of changed. Uh, for North America, I think that um, the countries of Canada, the U.S., and Mexico have seen that being on this side of the earth, um, it's a favored place to move for safety and for the hope of a life of peace. Um, this has always been happening. People have been migrating from the beginning of, of, of the biblical story and the history sure. of mankind, right? But uh, I think in the past 25 years, what's become true in North America is an awareness of uh, our location and the privilege that we all enjoy. Now, I know that's not necessarily the same for all Americans, for example. Um, I'm a white male. My life has had more privilege than others. But with regard to migrating people, um, it comes down to, for me, a sense of where can I go and have home and trust that it will be a safe place for me to have a family and a life. Um, we, we have um, more of that than other places. Uh, globally, I would say um, there are numerous parts of the 
planet where government does not protect its people nor care necessarily for their well-being. It seems to be more driven by who has the authority and power to make things good for themselves. And that's forced many things to happen that have displaced people. Um, you know, it's right now there's a lot of focus on the end of a war in Afghanistan and all that's come from that, and it's gotten everyone's attention. And I I don't underestimate the goodwill that that intention is, intention is bringing, but uh, we've been holding hands with those who've been trying to welcome migrating people who've been displaced for 25 years, and we're not the first to do it. Right. So, uh, you know, I think right now there's an opportunity for these kind of conversations to happen to help folks be more aware than perhaps what they get in five minutes of TV. Yeah, Mark, I mean, you know, one of the things that I've noticed over the last, you know, several years is the acknowledgement of the refugee uh, crisis and people being displaced um, is really on the rise. So this latest situation at the end of the war in Afghanistan, uh, obviously what's going on down on the southern border, this is really a continuation of what's been going on for decades now. In fact, I think I read not uh, read recently that there are more refugees in the world today than there has ever been in our history. Is that right? Yeah, that's true. In fact, uh, the number is somewhere around, now this number would be 2019 numbers. Uh, it takes a while to get the count, you know, current. Mm-hmm. But in 2019, the number of the United Nations Human Rights Commission put out was around 82.5 million people displaced. And that is a serious uptick from just 10 years prior. So as you, as you pointed out, it's not that we just have become aware of this. It's actually growing exponentially, almost doubling within 10 years. This is uh, out of control in the world. And the fact of the matter is what we touch in North America is, you know, less than 1% of that. Right. Right. So in Canada, you all launched the Welcome House, and you've replicated that ministry now in the U.S. Can you tell us a little bit about the model and the concept behind Welcome House? So um, we were uh, reposted from Southeast Asia to Canada in um, around 1998, 99, and we met some uh, Canadian Baptist Christians who were about to start a pilot project that would provide temporary housing and immigration support to asylees. And uh, Ann Wilger, the founder, invited us to come and help her start that. So Matthew House started then based on the scripture where Jesus says, I was a stranger and you welcome our house. We often talk about that because uh, back in the day when folks were coming to the house um, with little context, we uh, would have folks say, when do we get to meet Matthew? You know, <laughs> I want to thank Matthew for this house that he's let me have some time in. But the, the basic idea there was uh, asylum seekers are among the least resourced and supported wherever they go. In fact, every refugee starts first by being displaced from their homeland, and they go to another country and ask for asylum. And so Canadian Baptists were on the front end of that, and we learned a little bit about that whole process, which was new for us. 
when we were reposted uh, again uh, into our home state of North Carolina, into the Bible Belt, where we would never have imagined our missionary career being. I guess probably because we thought churches ought to be able to cover this. <laughs> but uh, we started connecting with local refugee agencies to ask what were their needs? What did they say was the greatest need they had? And how might we address that? We found out that one of those was the need for short-term housing because it takes time sometimes to get an apartment. And so when they don't have an apartment, they send them to an extended stay kind of hotel with the kitchen in it, you know, and then they live there for however many days or weeks or months until they get an apartment. Well, the problem with that is there's a very limited support that comes with each resettlement of $975. And so you stay even in a low income uh, hotel, you're going to eat that money up pretty quick. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm recommended this model that we had experienced in Canada. At first, the agencies were like, yeah, I don't think so. There's too many vetting issues with this. We don't get it. But they still talked about it and sent it back up to their headquarters, you know. And after everyone contemplated the possibility, they said to us, if you will man this, take care of all the pieces of it, and be vetted and trained by our organization so that we can have confidence that you're going to, you know, follow protocols. We'll test it out. And so we started Welcome House, a four-bedroom, four-bathroom apartment that we rented. And then here came the asylum seekers. Here came the refugees. Here came the immigrants from these agencies that needed short-term housing. We marked... 425 guests Wow! last month. Now, Autumn, it blew up last month with the numbers of people and the focus and the numbers of houses. We are a different organization this month than we were last month. Now, Mark, all of those, I mean, it can't just be all Afghani uh, refugees coming into the United States. What has led to that increase uh, in numbers over the last few months? We're talking about other people or just recently? Yeah, just recently. I mean, you, you said it's just, it's really expanded. So, yeah, well, I think lately. the biggest shift has been a change of U.S. administration. The previous administration worked very hard and intentionally to dismantle the refugee resettlement program in the United States. And we're very successful. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just the stopping it here. It, they went overseas where it starts with the vetting process. It's a 14-step vetting process. And they dismantled it over there. So when the new administration came into uh, power and started to reset the refugee program, it's taken many months to rebuild it from overseas first to here. And then once that happened, it started to uh, see the increase of numbers from people uh, coming by, you know, ones and twos and threes and the families of fives to suddenly 20 and 30 and 50 people coming at a time, uh, not just here in, in the Research Triangle, but across the country. Sure. Well, I mean, we're, we're just so impressed with the work that you and Kim and all your team is doing there in North Carolina. I was familiar with well, uh, Welcome House in Canada. 
In fact, uh, that's when I was first introduced to Welcome House. Uh, and it's just, it's a remarkable concept and, and we just applaud you and uh, excited about uh, being able to hear more and more stories of, of how you're being the very presence of Jesus to those who need Jesus the most. So uh, kudos to you and Kim. We're really excited about it. So how can listeners help, Mark? I mean, we get uh, we get inquiries all the time at Good Faith Media. What can they do? And you were interviewed by Zach Dawes, our managing editor, a few weeks ago. Story ran at goodfaithmedia.org. You had some really practical suggestions on how our audience can help. So could you just real quickly uh, kind of go over that to let, let our listeners know? How can they help? Because I think there are a lot of people of good faith who are wanting to help. Um, the first thing I would say is, uh, where, no matter where you are in the United States, uh, refugees will be resettled there. Mm-hmm. Beyond refugees, there are immigrants in every community across the states. And so the peoples that we serve are, are our neighbors. They're everywhere. It's just about us becoming aware of them, right? So the first thing I would say, uh, Mitch, is to simply do a Google search of your state or county, your region, and ask. Um, who serves refugees where I live. Uh, you may not be within you know, 50 miles of a city that does that or an area that that's being done in, but within 50 miles, the agencies do still need support of every type. So first, find out where people are being helped and then contact those organizations and ask, how might I volunteer? How might I volunteer? Uh, provide resources and help? Everyone needs the same things. Everyone's working for the same goal. So it doesn't really matter where you are. It's the same for everyone. Folks need home. Folks need the stuff that goes in a home. Folks need jobs. Uh, On those points, I would say to those listening to this uh, conversation, if you own property, if you are in real estate or are uh, um, a landlord, reach out to these agencies and say, I will provide uh, affordable housing for these in need. And I will overlook all the red tape steps it goes to get vetted to get in the apartment. I mean, the fact is the people we're trying to support aren't here yet when we first hear they're coming. They don't have a credit history. They don't have a job. And so it's important that we see this as a benevolent ministry. Mm. And I, I think that there are people that are of faith and those that aren't of faith that still have a heart for the situation that someone's in when they first arrive. So volunteer, if you have the ability to provide housing, uh, if you have the things that go in houses, please put them in a box or take them in a pickup truck and go furnish that home. Uh, everyone needs dollar resources too. In fact, we were in meetings just last week with our local Baptist Associational Missionary Director. And we sat across the table from the director of one of the agencies. And we asked that question, what is the greatest need you have? And they said across the board, uh, as refugees come, then dollars follow. But until they come, we can't hire enough staff to do the work, but they're coming. Mm-hmm. And we need the staff now. And so we said, okay, we will commit to you full care and support for up to 50 refugees for six months. All of it, whatever's needed, fully. Mm -hmm. And we'll supply dollars 
to pay certain staff in your organization so they can keep doing the work or you can add more caseworkers or caseloads. Mm-hmm. Was the boost they needed to be able to catch their breath and look forward past the immediate day they're in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it goes without saying that <clears throat> many churches are struggling across the board in general to be open. I understand that. Sure. It's been going on for a long time. The pandemic has certainly uh, heightened the stress on churches and pastors and leaders. But at the same time, we've seen remarkable generosity from individual members of churches toward their congregation and toward the public. It's incredible the dollars that have been coming from God's people and not just God's people, other people that don't know him yet, right? <laughs> so write a check. Yeah. Write a check. Yeah, I'm convinced that uh, there are a lot of people out there that have been watching uh, what's going on in the news, been listening to these stories, and are really concerned about uh, these refugees and the resettlement of these refugees. I mean, they're, they're people, they're families just like ours. And as you stated at the beginning of this interview, they're families who are just looking uh, to, to, to have, have a better life for themselves and for their children. Some of them fleeing war-torn areas, uh, fleeing violence, um, climate change. I mean, just they're doing what any other good person would do. And so I don't, uh, I don't think we should punish them for that. And I think there are people of good faith all across this country and world that are ready to step up and help these refugees. So kudos again to you and Kim and the entire team there in North Carolina. You're just doing a fabulous job. Mark, before we let you go, though, we've got one last question that Autumn asked all of our guests. So Autumn, take it away. So our tagline at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So in light of everything we've talked about with you today and what you see on your horizon, what is your more to tell? Speaking to churches at this point, I just would say that uh, God has called each of us, all of us, the beloved community, to be his presence in the world. And his good work in the world of restoring lives and rescuing folks from persecution is a part of that work of salvation. What needs to happen right now, in my opinion, Autumn, is we have to rethink what does it mean to be on mission Mm. and to be a minister in our community, the presence of Christ. I think the pandemic has pointed out that it certainly is not about buildings. I mean, that's been actually a gift, maybe. And the fact that we can do things like we're doing right now, virtually, communications has just totally changed the way we look at our message. For the church to move away from thinking of ministry as certain days of the week and mission as certain times of the year to being people that are seeing and embracing neighbors. If we can hear that, that our love for God translates in a very tangible way when we realize we have a neighbor and when we don't just say to that neighbor, here, neighbor, I want to do all these things for you. But actually, we say, hello, neighbor, my name is Mark. What's your name? This is my family. I'd like to know yours. No strings attached. Let's just become friends. If the church can grasp that, 
we have the capacity to do these things. There's no reason any refugee coming to this country should not be embraced by a church. There's no reason that a church can't collaborate with another church to take care of all the needs of a person until they can be self-sustained. No reason. We can do it. And I believe, Autumn, that we're standing right now at the precipice of the greatest days of our experience as Christians. This generation right now can see things happen that God is doing that we never, ever imagined, and we can join him in it. The question is, will we? Mm-hmm. So I say, open the door, not just of your home, but of your heart, of your mind, and prepare to see the kingdom of God. I love that. And that is a great way to end this interview. Kim and Mark Wyatt are field personnel for the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship working in the Raleigh, North Carolina area, but their work is really extending all across the globe. Mark, once again, thank you for all that you and Kim are doing in your team. And thanks for being a guest here at Good Faith Weekly. To our listeners, we want to thank you for tuning in this week. Uh, It's been a really interesting conversation with our three guests talking about the latest immigration crisis in the United States. But it's an ongoing crisis. It's not just one that is emerging before us. And so stay diligent. And as uh, Mark reminded us uh, when we visited with him, open up your hearts, minds, and doors to help those who need it, because that's what Jesus would do. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly, and we've got another guest with us. Adam Sultani is the Executive Director of the Council on American-Islamic Relations in Oklahoma, or better known as CARE OK. CARE Oklahoma's vision is to be a leading advocate for justice and mutual understanding. Their mission is to enhance understanding of Islam, protect civil rights, promote justice, and empower American Muslims. Recently, CARE received word that Afghan refugees will be arriving in the U.S. very soon. And when I say very soon, I mean last night. Adam, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Oh, thank you for having me. It's such a great pleasure to be here with you. Adam, before we launch into the work that you're doing with Afghan refugees who literally landed uh, at Will Rogers Airport last night, let's get into CARE's work. Um, I just want to educate our listeners about what CARE is, uh, briefly explain your work and what you've been doing and the progress, because you've been making a lot of progress over the last several decades. Sure. Simply put, CARE's purpose in Oklahoma and around the nation, we're one of 30 chapters in the United States, is to really improve the quality of life for Muslims living in Oklahoma. And by extension, we're hoping to improve the quality of life for all people. My vision is that our children, and truly my children and so many other children who are growing up in this day and age, are the product of a very diverse society. So it's my hope that they will learn from our mistakes, they will have a better grasp and a better understanding of what it means to have dialogue, to respect our differences, and to truly embrace one another, perhaps finally uh, fulfilling the dream of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that we're all so familiar with. And so that's really what CARE's vision is. And as far as our work, we do civil rights work. We help people who face unfortunate circumstances related to discrimination. We look to secure the rights of the Muslim community, especially their religious freedoms under the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. We have a government affairs advocacy department that educates our community on how they can advocate for issues that are important to them. And there's no, 
Muslim issue, if you will, because our community is so diverse. So mm -hmm. our goal with that is really to provide our community with the tools and the resources so that they can be advocates themselves for things related perhaps to education or economy, et cetera. And then last but not least, and this really pertains to, you know, the arrival of our new neighbors from Afghanistan is our community outreach department, which is about reaching out to our Muslim community and engaging with them and also reaching out to the broader community and trying to really bring everyone together and really trying to, you know, present the concept that we can be unified as a people if we really just recognize the one thing we have in common, which is our humanity. Love that. Love that. So we noticed on Facebook last night and this morning that some of the first Afghan refugees are arriving in Oklahoma. Uh, what are you all doing to prepare for their arrival? Oh, yeah. You know, it's just been unbelievable. And I think in a good way, we had a little bit of time to prepare. Um, Catholic Charities uh, of Oklahoma City, you know, got to give them a shout out because they have just done an outstanding job calling a lot of us uh, that work in the community and nonprofit organizations in to be a part of this process. And as I found out, this is unprecedented in the history of Oklahoma. This is one of the largest influxes of refugees to come in at one time, which talking about a thousand coming to Oklahoma City. And so what we have done is we said, how can we welcome them? How can we represent, truly represent the Oklahoma standard, right? How can we make them feel at home and reassure them that their faith and their culture are safe here and that they're in a place where they can really establish themselves, you know, and make it into a home. So we created these welcome kits um, work, you know, working alongside many others, including Catholic Charities. And the welcome kits include PPE items, hygiene items, a guidebook to the local Muslim community, a welcome letter from Imam Imad Inchasi uh, of the Islamic Society of Greater Oklahoma City, along with a Quran, prayer rug, and prayer beads. So they're getting these items and, you know, some things are familiar to them, some are very practical. Um, so that's very important that they like, wow, this is thoughtful, right? I don't know that all refugees get something like that when they arrive. And then the other thing that actually Catholic Charities asked us to do was provide them with a halal meal from a local Muslim restaurant, because many of them won't have proper housing when they come in. They're going into temporary housing situations, and then eventually they will get you know, put into more permanent housing. So we've actually uh, created an agreement with some local Muslim restaurants, and we raised the funds on Facebook. A lot of people came through and were very generous, and we were able to provide them with the halal meals from a local Muslim restaurant last night as they arrived. And last but not least, we have been collecting donations of clothing, shoes, um, more PPE items, hygiene items for both genders, all ages. And that is a big deal because a lot of these people are coming with almost nothing and they have immediate needs. So being able to provide that for them right when they arrive, as well as ongoing as they settle in, that's very important to us. And we're just overwhelmed with the support. I mean, I have never in my life, and I've lived in Oklahoma, you know, for more than 25 years now, I have never seen so much just genuine, unconditional outpouring of love from Oklahomans. I think the potential was always there, right? But, <laughs> but I think this gave us an opportunity as a state and as a people to come together and say, we're going to do this for 
our brothers and sisters, not necessarily in faith, but in humanity. And that that's something we should all be proud of. Yeah. Now, Adam, I don't, you kind of, uh, you hit on something there at the beginning and, and then you dropped an, a name there uh, during your answer, which was just brilliant. But I don't want to gloss over that. When you give out big props to Catholic charities, uh, and you mentioned the name Iman, Iman, or Iman, the Imam, Imad Inchansi, who is a friend of the pod, by the way. We've had uh, Inchansi on here very several times mm. uh, and been able to publish his uh, memoir. Uh, shout out for that. Uh, it's a great, <laughs> great, great book. Um, but, you know, I noticed in the releases uh, across social media last night and today that you gathered an interfaith uh, group to welcome yes. the, the, the refugees off of the plane, which I thought was beautiful. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting to me, that just can't happen within a few hours. Right. CARE has been building relationships with the interfaith community for decades now. Mm. And is this, this is one of the main reasons I think interfaith dialogue is so important to build these relationships and this, these, this trust between mm. people of faith. Because when moments like these happen, when moments right. of tragedy, you know, we've, we've talked about uh, natural disasters here in our state, often tornadoes, but when you know, human, uh, human disasters happen and people find themselves coming to this state, how important is it that the work that you've done previously building those relationships with the interfaith communities, how important is it that it comes to fruition in moments like these? It's incredibly important. And I think you really, you know, highlighted the most important point, which is these things don't happen overnight. Uh, you know, CARE Oklahoma has been around for 15 years and we didn't initiate uh, or we weren't even part of the foundation of this interfaith work. I mean, that goes back, you know, to the time of the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing where, you know, those who know their history and, and quite honestly, this is a story that was buried in the history is that for the first 48 hours after that tragedy, um, people of Muslim and Middle Eastern descent were considered to be suspects number one, right? And so the interfaith community was really born out of this idea that, you know, we have to take control over this narrative and we have to build these relationships because it's not fair to generalize or blanket an entire community and blame them for the actions of a few. And in this case, it was actually not even remotely, you know, true, right? I mean, we know who committed that atrocious act. So, you know, we jumped in, you know, 15 years ago, and we have been a part of it. And we're just honored to be and I think that's the thing is that you have to build these relationships that are based on trust that are based on understandings of commonalities and differences. But most importantly, these have to be relationships that are built upon sincerity. We don't go into interfaith work, not myself, not anyone who's involved here in Oklahoma with ulterior motives or with any goal in mind, except to build these friendships, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you talk about an interfaith delegation greeting these Afghan refugees, it's important to know that these are people that have known each other for decades. They've traveled to the Holy Land together, to Jerusalem, you know, and they have had the difficult conversation. So they can really connect with people who have been through difficult things, and they can really exemplify 
what it means to be a good neighbor. And that's very important. And additionally, I really think that is what is what has led to the overwhelming support, uh, both through you know financial donations as well as donated items to support these refugees. You know, like I said, it's no accident, it's no mistake. These things in, happen because of intentional work by so many people. And I'm just a, I say I'm just a small guy in this you know interfaith work. I mean, truly, people like uh, Imam Imad and Chasi. Uh, you know, the Reverend Dr. William Tabernay, and now uh, Reverend Shannon Fleck of the Oklahoma Conference of Churches, uh, Rabbi Verit Harris, uh, Mike Kornblitz, and many, many others um, that I'm, I'm not able to name in this short period of time have really put the work and the effort um, and the blood, sweat, and tears into making this happen. And just it's, it's remarkable to see, and I've been honored to be a part of it for so many years here in the state of Oklahoma. Ahmad and I were actually speaking to a group of Baptists up in uh, Wisconsin one time, and they were mm. asking us, how, how do you measure when interfaith dialogue is being successful? And Ahmad and I kind of looked at each other and scratched our heads, and mm. I said, you know, there was a point in our relationship where, and I don't mean this as an insult, I forgot that he was a Muslim. Right. He became my friend. And I saw him more as a friend than anything that happened to be Muslim and then also happened to be an imam. Mm. Um, and I think when those barriers are been, when those barriers can be blurred to the point where we see the, our humanity in each other, where we see, you know, the, our relationship that, that that is the ultimate goal for all of us because when we hear about afghan refugees coming to the united states we don't see them as muslims we don't see them as afghans we see them as people who are in need who happen mm -hmm. to be afghan who happen to be muslim but we're reaching out to them and we are welcoming them simply because of human kindness and human commonality we share that and so uh, I think it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, work that you're involved in, and kudos to everything that you and Kara have been doing over the years, because this is the embodiment of why you do what you do when we have refugees land at our door and we welcome them. It doesn't matter who they are and who you are. You can be Muslim, Christian, uh, a non-believer. You're here to welcome mm. people, and that's so, so important. So thank, for, thank you for all you're doing. Now, what can people of good faith do to help in this effort, Adam? Well, you know, we are accepting ongoing donations. Right now, the priority is clothing and hygiene items. Of course, PPE. I mean, we're still in the midst of a pandemic. Um, if people don't want to donate items, we are accepting financial donations that will cover things like meals, transportation, and fill in any gaps of things that may not be donated in large enough quantities. Um, they can also volunteer. So if you go on our website, um, there is a link uh, to a page that has all the information and you can see uh, volunteer sign-up sheets if you want to be a part of sorting through donations or maybe you have a specialty like you're a medical doctor or you work with a nonprofit. you can sign up and say we could provide this because what we have learned from catholic charities as well as others who are much much more experienced in working with refugees than we are is that this is going to be a process it's going to take several years before these individuals and families are hopefully independent and can really stand on their own two feet i mean there's some immigration work to be done adjustment of statuses they're going to need right to work they're going to need housing they're going to need you know all the things like driver's licenses health insurance things we take for granted every day so that being said 
said, you know, go on our website, you can see, and we're going to update that page with all the information that we're getting. Eventually, we'll start taking furniture and household items, as well as we may have other needs as more families and individuals begin to arrive. And last but not least, I mean, this is a good faith podcast. And, you know, as a person of faith, I believe very strongly in the power of prayer. So, you know, it is something good and positive, I think, that we all also pray for them because, I mean, they're coming from very difficult and and tragic circumstances. And I can't even imagine, you know, having to leave everything Mm -hmm. behind and establish my life in an entirely new culture and society. And so that's not an easy thing. And the power of prayer is something that people of faith believe in. Therefore, let's pray. Let's pray for them that hopefully they find peace and that they find a good home here in Oklahoma and that we can truly exemplify, you know, the standard of caring, compassion, and kindness that we are supposed to as a people. Amen. Love that. Thank you so much. Well, Adam, we want to take our hats off to you and to care. Thank you for all that you've been doing over the years. Uh, More precisely, thank you for what you're doing right now and what you're going to have to be doing over the next few years, because everybody that we've talked to from our Baptist missionary friends in California, North Carolina, to you have said the same thing. This is not short-term. This is a Mm long-term commitment to these people, and uh, we need to to do it and do it right. So thank you so much for all you're doing. Before we let you go, Adam, though, Autumn's got one last question that she asked all of our guests, so I'm going to let her take it away. Yes, Adam, our tagline at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So in light of your work with CARE and our current situation, what is your more to tell? You know, one thing that I finally... I find myself constantly telling people is we need to remove from our way of thinking and our way of acting the labels that have been applied to each and every one of us throughout history and that have really been used to divide us. We need to find a way, finally, as a country that's built upon the ideals of religious freedom and so many other freedoms to come together and to see each other as human beings. And that starts by getting to know one another. There's a verse in the Holy Quran that says, God created us from a single male and a single female, calling us to a reminder that we all came from Adam and Eve. And then God created us into different nations and tribes so that we can get to know each other. Nations and tribes could be understood as races, ethnicities, and cultures, but the term that's used in Arabic in the Quran when it says to know each other means to intimately know each other, not just to know of each other. Mm -hmm. And so that really speaks to what we've talked about today and, and the importance of building sincere relationships. We have to really know one another and know each other's condition and get outside of our comfort zone and really make friendships with other people who are different than us. And if we do this, I sincerely believe that not only are we going to make a better uh, you know, present, but we're going to build the foundations for a better future that generations to come will benefit from. And if we really want to see this American experiment succeed, because truly this is an experiment, if you look at history, we have got to commit to doing something to make it better. So this is my advice, and I hope this is a path we can all forge through the wilderness into a brighter future. 
Wow. I always benefit from your wisdom, Adam. Thank you so much for being here. Adam Sultani is the executive director of the Council on American Islamic Relations in Oklahoma. You can check him out at their website at CARE, okay? And uh, just again, thank you for all that you've been doing and what you're doing in this uh, latest crisis. Uh, thank you as well. I appreciate the opportunity to share this uh, positive information and appreciate everyone who's listening to the podcast. Until next week, keep living good faith.